Uh, hi guys. Uh, so just the second part to is Japan that important? Um, and in this one, I just sort of point out that generally speaking, uh, a weekend is bad for Asia, um, and that has you know many different facets. But I think I'll just talk through the details of it um, and why I think this time we're the we're seeing a different type of market to what we've seen previously when the Japanese have devalued. Um, so, you know, I think uh, particularly in sort of investors and especially in the sort of macro uh, economics type investing, it's generally quite well known that a weak US dollar tends to be good for commodities and emerging markets in general. Um, and, you know, I always thought there were sort of two sort of different uh, transfer mechanisms here. Uh, one is that if you have dollar debts or have dollar-based capex, uh, when the dollar is weaker and your domestic currency is rising, uh, that capex becomes much easier uh, and is also much easier to serve your debt. So that's like uh, a, one facet of like financial easing. The second one, when the dollar is weaker, is you know, investment banks and fund managers or everyone else suddenly get very excited about carry trades. So you gain the return on the currency plus whatever interest rate premium you get over the US dollar. Uh, and so this encourages capital flows into credit markets, equity markets elsewhere. So, you know, a week into particularly in Asia, but emerging markets in general. So it creates a very sort of bullish environment. Um, and so, you know, a weak dollar tends to be tends to be pretty good for emerging markets. Um, now, one of the best sort of emerging market currencies we can use to sort of get a feel for this uh, is the South Korean one. Um, now, it's had a very wonderful and volatile history. Um, Generally weakened against the dollar, uh, it's probably been in the same sort of range since '98 in the age of financial crisis. But what's clear with the Korean won is that it'll have long periods of relative stability and then big sell-offs marking financial crisis, both in, so first of all, in the uh, Asian financial crisis, and then sort of mini sell-off in the dot-com bust, then the, a huge sell-off in the GFC, and then if we're looking at it, sort of, you know, it was in a range until sort of 2020 and suddenly it's sort of gotten massively weaker. Um, but, you know, and that was post uh, this sort of COVID, uh, the beginning of COVID. So it was a, you sort of th- seen there going, well, I don't remember 21, 22 being a massive financial crisis. Uh, what's going on? Um, and I think it makes a lot more sense if we look at the Korean one in yen terms. And this is where I'm getting back to, you know, how important is Japan? Uh, and when we look at the yen in one terms, then we can see the sort of financial crises types moves much more. And you can see the, the one in it has been until 2013 when uh, the crazy policies we have in place got introduced. It's generally been a weakening bias against uh, Japan. As Japan has had basically no inflation and uh, Korea has had inflation, to keep these very similar industrial nations in parity, you would need the one to devalue to match that. Um, and so what we see now is with the supposed GFC policies of Japan, uh, that yen one exchange rate is back to sort of levels we first saw in uh, the early 90s, um, which is very odd as that is, you know, what we've seen is inflation in Korea has doubled over that time, while Japan's barely risen 8%. So, the yen is severely undervalued. You can see that in tourist numbers. You can see that in the prices that you see uh, on restaurants, other things in Japan, 
relative to the rest of the world. So, you know, the, the yen is very, very cheap. Um, now, what you would expect in this type of environment is that the Nikkei would be doing much better than the Cosby. And that's exactly what has happened. So since 2013, the Nikkei is up over 300%, while the Cosby is maybe up 25, uh, depending on when you bought. Uh, and, you know, both are tech-heavy, uh, industrial-heavy uh, indices. So you are comparing a very similar uh, economy. So you are comp- comparing apples to apples, in my view. Um, and, you know, Korea is not the only one affected by, by this. Uh, if you look at, like, Taiwan, Taiwan runs a 12% current account surplus um, uh, and has a dominant market share in high-end semiconductors. So I would have normally thought in a sort of the semi-boom market that we have at the moment, Taiwan dollar would be very strong. Uh, that is not what you see. It's been uh, super weak. Uh, and again, you have a done all right versus yen, but again, weak. Um, getting away from East Asia, if we look at like Mexico, uh, the distortions in the yen for me now, it's, it's super epic. Uh, Mexico is, you know, does not have a very similar economy to Japan, does not have the same sort of IP or tech uh, basis that you see in Japan or but yet what we, when we look at the Mexican versus yen exchange rate, you know, you're back to sort of 2004, 20 years, uh, you know, levels last seen 20 years ago. And in that time, of course, Mexican CPI has uh, risen dramatically. So Mexican inflation index is probably doubled over that period, while Japan again is only up 8%. So the yen is super weak. And I think a lot of people do know this. Uh, and likewise, you know, you, what you expect is, the equity markets to be lackluster. And again, you know, over that sort of period, you know, the Mexican markets may be up 25%, um, you know, which is very lackluster given what the S&P has done. done. So anyway, historically speaking, uh, for me, this Japanese devalue our way to prosperity, which actually has no precedent in history. No one's ever devalued their way to prosperity. If devaluation was a successful policy, Italy and Argentina would be the richest countries in the world. Uh, devaluation is a super dumb policy. And I've always thought the BOJ and the Ministry of Finance in Japan have been super dumb to pursue this. Uh, super dumb or basically running very pro-capital policies because they couldn't bring themselves to, to raise wages. Um, and in Japanese perspective, it's always been very stupid because whenever they've devalued, they've then had the rest of their close trade neighbors devalue back against them. Uh, and deflation has come back stronger than ever, but this time with credit losses. Now, why is this time different? Because China has chosen to resist the devaluation pressures of a weak yen um, and the other weak Asian nations that are following the yen. Uh, now, I know certain uh, financial types hyperventilate over sort of the 20% fall we've seen in the yuan since its peak. Uh, for me, you know, that's, that's like nothing. That's chicken feed compared to what the yen's done, one's done, uh, Malaysian ringa, if you like, you know, much, much more significant devaluations. Now, what is interesting, if you look at the Japanese 10-year bond yield, it's been in this sort of unrelenting uh, bull market or, or for the last, for basically 30 years, from 1990 through to 2020. You know, where what I mean by a bull market is, is that the sell-offs are very much contained uh, you know, and, you know, they sort of stabilize and then the bull market res- resumes itself, you know, and, and, you know, don't really lose too much money. That has not been the case uh, since sort of 2020. 
since 2020, what we've seen is yields slowly rising. And what I want to point out is like the all-time low for Japanese yields was uh, in 2015 when markets really thought that China is going to devalue. So we're going to see a repeat of the Asian financial group price, repeat of GFC. And that's what I thought was going to happen. Uh, and so I had all these sort of devaluation trades on. And then the Chinese have moved away from it. It's taken a while, but now the bond market, I think, is quite clearly saying, no, China's not going to devalue. They're going to keep their currency strong. They're going to keep trying to raise wages. And so we're going to have an inflationary market. Uh, and so finally, in the ironies of ironies, the Japanese are exiting their deflation period because of Chinese policy, nothing that they've done themselves. Uh, I mean, the most, and so inflation, I think, is returning both to Japan and globally. And it's not really going to go away unless we see a big change in Chinese policy. And I often get asked, do I think China's going to devalue? And then my question is, well, you know, why would they do it now? You know, 10 years after when they probably should have if they were going to do that. Uh, And politically, I don't think they want to. Uh, It doesn't really do, it won't benefit them in any way, making workers poorer, making their economy smaller. Uh, Keeping a strong uh, yuan, uh, I think, benefits them politically. Of course, it's disastrous for the for the stock market, but honestly, who cares? Who cares if uh, the owner of Evergrande goes to zero? I don't. Uh, who cares if Jack Ma is only like a, a multi-billionaire instead of being a $50, $60 billion billionaire? I don't care. It's not, not important to me. Uh, I think that's the sort of Jap- uh, Chinese mentality as well. And so, you know, the point of this is to say that the weak, the weak yen is really causing the rest of Asia to be weak and causing sort of deflationary pressures to be quite intense in Japan. Um, yeah, sorry, in China, quite deflation pressures quite intense in, in China. But to me, the benefits or the, the environment for Japanese devaluation policies is really changing. Inflation is coming back to Japan. Real wages are falling in Japan. And at some point, the BOJ is going to stop living in the past and realize that their policies are really you know, not, not, not working for Japanese workers. Um, and so the question is, when does the BOJ wake up and smell the coffee? And then I think we see some of these sort of epic distortions between things like the S&P and gold that a lot of commentators look at or uh, you know, commodities in the S&P. I think that's when they turn. All right. Stay safe. We'll talk again soon. Ciao.